Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. I'm so excited we're back. We've been gone for so long. Uh, We've been gone from this podcast for so long that the table, the craft table in which we do this podcast, <laughs> was actually filled with crafting. That's right. Like craft supplies, and you're doing projects. It like, looks like a thousand things were going on here. Looks like a Michael's store exploded in this room. <laughs> and, but podcasting is not one of the things that was happening here, but... Um, We'll see if we remember how to do it. Yeah, you've been gone a lot, and we are sneaking this in before you take off again. Yeah, this uh, the new business never stops being actually uh, moved to where like I talk about wrestling for for work has uh, I don't know it's just opened up all these opportunities, and I'm going place to place, and my other job is still busy. So yeah, it's been it's been a kind of a whirlwind, but uh, we'll take this moment while we have it. How about that? All right. You want to jump right into our top five? I believe that's how we do it. The five things we love the most about wrestling in the past week. Let's go. All right. We'll start at number five. Uh, We got a lot of news out of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So you are becoming a true wrestling fan with the news. The dirt sheet news is like the thing you love the most. Well, you know, I, I love New Japan. And I hate change. So <laughs> I, when I started hearing that there was, uh, you know, that there were some big breaking stories that were going to come out of Japan, um, I was a little bit concerned. Um, still not a hundred percent sure how I feel about the news, but partly that's because we don't exactly know what it's going to mean. So the news for those who do not religiously follow the wrestling internet is that New Japan Professional Wrestling is opening up uh, officially an American office, New Japan Pro Wrestling America. Is that what they call it? Of America. Of America. And they're going to run a bunch of shows throughout the United States uh, divided into, I think, like four regions and 27 cities. And basically, like during the period that New Japan typically takes off uh, between tours, they may come to America and, and do a series of shows here. So uh, it'll be really interesting. We've seen them tour America a lot this year, and they're just, it just seems like they're going to ramp that up. Yeah, they, they said they hope to have about twice as many shows. Um, I was excited because the Southeast is one of their regions. I know. How great was that? Yeah, six cities in four states. Um, I think probably, you know, I'm guessing, but most of their likely destinations uh, based on where they've been in the past and such uh, will probably be within driving distance of us. So there's more opportunities um, to go and, and see live wrestling. But Again, we're not exactly sure what that is going to mean. Like, is that going to mean Japanese talent over from Japan? Or is that going to mean more of sort of a a homegrown feel for New Japan Pro Wrestling of America? Yeah, no one one really knows for sure. But you're right, it is exciting that it's going to be coming to the South, not just selfishly, but because like for so long, the South was uh, one of the homes of professional wrestling in the United States. Like it it was big everywhere in the South and in Dallas in Florida, in Atlanta, in North Carolina. And then that just kind of faded as the Yankee wrestling promotion from up north kind of took over the wrestling world. (laughs) And then the, the independent scene for so long was centered in Philadelphia and New York and now Chicago and in on the West Coast. And it seems like the South has just kind of mostly been left out of a lot of the, the excitement around wrestling. And so I, I think it, it'll be good uh, to have it back here. And uh, I'm curious to see how uh, Southern wrestling fans respond to uh, New Japan and what they offer. It could be an interesting mix. 
Well, New Japan had another uh, sort of tangential piece of news, which is that their parent company, uh, Bushi Road, acquired Stardom. Yeah, that, and and I think uh, I don't know what to make of it. No one really does. You know, there was a lot of uh, initial concern or excitement that they would be uh, merging the two organizations. I don't think culturally that's likely to happen in Japan. And based on their press release, that doesn't seem the direction that they're going in. But it, it could potentially mean some some big improvements for stardom. Uh, as hard as it, you know, as imperfect as New Japan's uh, New Japan World is, it is a huge step ahead of uh, stardom's online offering. When we were subscribed to that, it was fairly difficult to locate matches and find them and watch them. And uh, uh, you know, having that infrastructure that New Japan has could be beneficial to stardom, which I think has a really great product and just a really poor mechanism for delivering it, at least to English speaking fans. Yeah, I mean, I actually have zero complaints about uh, New Japan World. I absolutely love uh, that service. And if they could, if Stardom could make their subscription service look a little bit more uh, like World, um, that would be great. Well, I have significant complaints as like an old school fan. Like if I wanted to go back and watch, say, hey, let's go watch that uh, Hase Suzaki match from 1995 against the Steiner Brothers or something. Like some of the stuff will be there. The, like the big Tokyo Dome matches will be there. But like there's huge swaths of New Japan history that's not included on New Japan World. So it's as a completist and an obsessive <laughs> and uh yeah i think we're looking for different things <laughs> could be it could be so we're not i'm not entirely satisfied i think it you know um wwe of course has set a, a tremendously high bar for for these other promotions they have so much material and have archived so much of american wrestling history that it does uh, it, it's hard for new japan to to live up to that standard well if uh, stardom could make uh, some some steps towards a uh, improving their site, making it a little bit more user-friendly. That'd be great. And you had suggested that maybe now with the same parent company, maybe we could get a joint subscription service. That would be great if they combine them together in some form. So instead of paying $10 for each, you'd pay $17 for one, for both. I, I don't know how it might work, but uh, it, it would be cool as a package. And also, like, so in Japan, it's not really kosher to combine the two promotions and have women and men necessarily on the same card. It's just not traditionally how it's been right. done. But New Japan of America could, exactly. could be a very different thing. <laughs> so uh, I don't see any reason why culturally they couldn't mix in stardom athletes on their American tours. I have no inside knowledge that this is what they plan, but it, it could be an interesting way to make New Japan of America stand out a little bit and uh, make the best use of uh, of stardom and, and kind of uh, start promoting that group as well in, in into the English speaking world. So um, I don't know. Well, a lot of it, 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 this was a huge year for, for wrestling, exciting year. And it looks like uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, dramatic happenings next year too. So I look forward to seeing it. All right, we'll move on to number four. Uh, that was a match off of this week's raw. Uh, we got the street profits versus the OC. Now this was originally supposed to be like a trios match. It was going to be street profits and a mystery partner and uh, all three members of the OC. But when street profits came out, they didn't have another partner. So at least at the beginning of this match, AJ styles, 
magnanimously decided that he would sit out to make it fair. Of course, sit out ringside where he could <laughs> uh, interfere at his leisure. Of course. But uh, yeah, so this was an excellent match. Uh, you know, those that doesn't always go along with uh, the words WWE Raw. But this was uh, <laughs> really good, I thought. And it, and it's cool to see the Street Profits, which is an act that we loved in NXT, uh, you know, have this immediate impact immediate, yeah. uh, on Raw. You know, so the rumor is that they are... Um, they are favorites of Paul Heyman, who's one of the new creative directors of, of WWE. So it could be they're, they're in line for a big push. I haven't talked to Paul since uh, he started in that position. So I don't know that. But they do seem like the kind of uh, act that he would like. So well, I mean, they just came right in uh, against one of the, I guess, more prestigious uh, tag teams in, in Raw right now. And they didn't look out of place at all. I mean, they're ready. No, I mean, we knew they could work and they have great personalities. And uh, not only was this match uh, like a, a spectacular success in the ring, it ended with like uh, one of the most uh, <laughs> uh, iconic moments in on Raw this year, at least since we've been watching, which is the Street Profit, Profits uh, Montez Ford after they won the big match, uh, going up, uh, celebrating with the fans and somehow finding himself holding <laughs> this lady's baby. Yeah, he just stole the baby. And he's dancing with the <laughs> baby and this one this baby looks so happy yeah this this baby is just absolutely loving it now i will say that uh we did eventually meet the mystery partner which oh, turned out sure. to be kevin owens which really yeah i mean it was kind of a letdown it wasn't it wasn't great but he did get to deliver a stunner to aj styles outside the ring so I mean, I mean, it was what it, it was. It was whatever. You can yeah. for, immediately forget that, as I did. And, but I would, <laughs> you know, having seen some WWE programming, I would like to warn the Street Profits that last time Kevin Owens befriended an African-American <laughs> team of uh, a tag team. <laughs> did not go I, well. It did not go well for that tag team. No. So uh, do not trust Kevin Owens. That would be my advice. Uh but this match was really good. It was worth seeking out. The OC has uh, rediscovered their fire. Uh, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, who were such you know such an outstanding team in New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, they've been one of these teams that for years now it feels like there's been fans like wondering they're not being used to their potential. It's true, and uh, and they weren't. But I mean, they weren't being used at, at all. all for long long periods of time. Now, if you follow like Carl Anderson on on social media, you'll it doesn't. Have, appear that he was particularly concerned like by that you know he was more ha happy about collecting the big paycheck Seeing you've been missing work <laughs> i wouldn't say i've been missing it uh yeah so he's uh he's back at work now and maybe he's happy with that he was also happy uh hanging out with his wife and kids so um either way i i was glad to see this match and it was really good so that's a uh, that's what you want exactly number three this was uh the main event from this week's NXT. It was a three-way between Roderick Strong, Keith Lee, and Dominic Divakovich for the North American title, which Roderick Strong holds. Yes, this was uh, as good as you could hope for from one of these three-way dances, which always has the, the awkwardness of three participants. Right, It was, uh, and sort of like just sort of hastily thrown together um, since we've had like this one-on-one -on -one feud going on with Keith Lee and, and Divakovich for a while. And then they just sort of threw both of them in there and for this title match. Yeah. I guess it was a way to extend that maybe without like wearing out their welcome. I'm not sure. And giving it some stakes, I suppose. Maybe so. So, uh, I should just say like, if, I have a new column for Bleacher Report. It's going to be reviewing the Wednesday night wrestling wars. So I'm going to watch AEW. I'm going to watch NXT and I'm going to talk about 
what I enjoyed about both of them artistically, and then I'm going to pick a winner. And so uh, that started this week, and I was really lucky because the both shows were so excellent. They were. Uh, really outstanding stuff. And, and the best match from the NXT show was this, the main event. So uh, it really delivered big time. Uh, we, we've been waiting. I think you and I have been waiting for them to unleash Keith Lee on the world. Because we had seen him on the indie scene and mm-hmm. thought he was he was fantastic, right. and uh, you know, for he came to WWE and he kind of had a, a long time where nothing was happening, and uh, now he's out there. They're featuring him. The crowd seems to love him, and he's still Keith Lee. Yeah, yeah. Um, they gave uh, they gave Keith Lee and Divakovich plenty of time in this match, um, you know, to continue to work on their feud. Uh, they work well together. I personally liked. I liked the parts of this match better uh, than I've liked some of their singles matches that they've been having. Um, I've, you know, I've complained to you. Um, I, I really want to see them work more as big guys and not big guys who do little guy stunts. Um, I, I, I just like the feel of this better. Um, they put Roderick Strong in the mix, you know, when it was appropriate, uh, get to do their big guys against little guy stuff. And then Roderick Strong did a good job of uh, sort of just, you know, hanging back and waiting for his moments, which the little guy is going to have to do in one of these matches. Yeah, he, he is great. Um, it's fascinating. I was just looking it up to see if I was wrong or not. I was just thinking about it. I was like, wow, Roderick Strong has been a wrestler uh, doing really good matches for yes. as long as I can recall. And he's, uh, he's apparently been wrestling for 19 years. Yeah, well, I mean... Um, you know, I was shocked the other day to find from the Ring of Honor vault uh, just a, a fantastic match um, that involved the Briscoes and um, two other members of the Undisputed Era, Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole, and then was just shocked to find out that that match was like eight and a half years ago. <laughs> well, I mean, so Roderick Strong goes back to like the beginnings of Ring of Honor almost like in 2003 he was in uh, or 2004 I guess he was in their top stable it was called uh, Generation Next and almost all of them uh, they were Generation Next then now they're Generation Old <laughs> but almost all of them have recently made a comeback it's kind of interesting because Roderick Strong is doing so well in Ring of Honor Alex Shelley yeah Austin Aries and the other one was Jack Evans wow so uh, yeah it's like uh, it's like these guys are all are all back on the scene and it's really cool to see all of them. So um, it was really clever the way to bring it back to this match that Roderick strong, these guys did all their spots and they had their big standoff. And for some reason they went to the top rope for all their high spots. Uh, They they got (laughs) to knock that off. Like you say, for, for their own well being, And also uh, none of that stuff can have an impact if you do it five times a match. Um, So without sounding like an old guy, they they have to kind of limit those to, to when they matter. Uh, or it's just a, a, another near fall and you're just wasting your body and, and your and, and your health and well-being for nothing. Right. So um, hopefully they can start working a little bit smarter. But anyway, Roger Strong came in at the end after they did all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he delivered a, a blow for the finish. And yeah. I thought that was really clever the way he did it. And his timing was really good on yeah, it. Yeah, that's I mean, like I said, that's how you have to work these three ways if you're the little guy. So that match, though, was pretty much immediately forgotten. <laughs> because uh, it, it was followed by um, what you have some dispute with whether or not it was a shocking turn or not. But Finn Balor came out and, and pretty clearly declared that uh, he is not a white meat babyface in this organization. Uh, yeah. So, of course, after the match is over, 
all of Undisputed Era comes out, celebrate with Roderick Strong and, you know, wreak havoc. And um, Adam Cole has the NXT belt right now. And so first we see Tomasa Ciampa come out. I mean, he's made clear he wants that belt back. He never really lost it. Um, so he, you, may, he may actually be in love with the belt. He, he seems to be a little bit in like love. Like romantic with the, love. Yeah, well, I can understand that. Sure. Um, but yeah, he, you would think, you know, he'd be looking at being like a number one contender, having never lost the belt. Uh, Johnny Gargano then comes out. Of course he lost the belt to Adam Cole. He's looking, you know, for redemption, for a rematch. And then out comes Finn Balor. Um, I suppose you, you were saying because of his, um, you know, generally being a, a baby face or at least a sort of a neutral guy in his tenure in WWE, the assumption from the audience was that he would stand with with Tomasa Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. Right, because they're the, the, the baby faces. There's four heels staring them down. So first it's four on one. Then because he's a good guy and because this used to be his friend, here comes Gargano. Mm-hmm. So now it's four and two. It's still uneven. And here comes Balor. In theory, based on the tropes of wrestling, right. he's going to be there to square off with the villains. That's what how it would typically be positioned. Right. And I, I guess I saw it a little bit differently because, um, you know, we've only really seen one. We've only really seen Balor in NXT one time before. You stared down Adam Cole, stared at the belt, made, you know, clear you know, that he has his eyes on the NXT belt, which he moved down from the main roster. You know, if you're not gunning for the top position, like there's something wrong with you. I mean, you should be, right? And so I actually, I didn't think it was that clear where he was going to stand. I thought it was more likely that he would see Tomasa Ciampa and Gargano as the two guys that are in his way between him and Adam Cole and the belt that he wants. So I actually wasn't surprised. I was surprised to see that everyone else was surprised. But how he made his intentions clear was actually really great and kind of shockingly violent, which I liked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that uh, what you saw or what you expected uh, is how they will explain it. So it, it does make sense when you put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I, I liked it because it made sense sure. to me. It wasn't one of these illogical turns where it's just like all of a sudden the person is like, I'm bad now. Look how bad I am. Like Bailey's. Yeah, uh, I have dark eye makeup and a black leather jacket. Can't you Clearly, see? I'm, I'm smoking now. a cigarette, Mom. What are you going to do about <laughs> it? Uh, it wasn't like that at all. It was more like this is a guy who's saying, um, I'm not here to be friends. I'm here to be the top guy in this promotion. Uh I'm not for Adam Cole or his buddies Mm because they've got what I want and you guys are in the way. You guys want what I want too. So yeah, he's kind of like uh, declaring himself as being uh, separate from from everyone. There are no friends in this business. It it is not the wrestling friendship. It is the wrestling business. (laughs) I don't know if that's a quote, uh, but it is now. So yeah, I thought it was it was cool. Uh, whether it was shocking or not, or whatever, uh, the, the, like you say, the level of violence, the way in which it was executed, was definitely shocking, because uh, you know he was he did it in a way that would have impact. Because I guess when you know it's going to be replayed a million times, like you could better lay it in. Yeah. So the kick was in there stiff. Mm-hmm. The next kick kick was in there stiff, and then he dropped the dude right on his head. Yeah, just laid out Gargano on the ramp. Like. I think it was a shoot. It was all a shoot. He had no idea it was coming. <laughs> I, I think it was real. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I loved it. Um, I, you know, I 
didn't I was taking something different away from it than I guess uh, a lot of people based on what I saw online but you know either way whatever I loved it I thought it was great great ending to that show um, like you said overall that NXT was very strong number two should have been number one to me oh sorry as Biggie Smalls would say all right well this is from I mean as, as strong a show as NXT was I know you and I both agreed that AEW this week w- was stronger. It yeah, was a better show. Especially the the first hour plus of yeah, AEW. About, yeah, about an hour and a quarter. Uh, was the, the best wrestling television I've probably seen in 10 years. It was fantastic. And I know that people are going to hate that I said that, but uh, it, it's true. It was great. Everything about it. And and this angle, uh, Cody Rhodes and, and Chris Jericho is as at the you know the top of the yes. The so list. their confrontation is what we picked as our our number two for for this week, and um, so this begins with um, Cody announcing on social media that on AEW Dynamite he has a very important announcement about his career and about his future, and it was just labeled as Cody speaks. That was the that was the segment. And so when they come back from commercial break, you know, Cody's in the ring. He's got the microphone. He's with Tony Schiavone. He's going to... Schiavone. Schiavone. He's He's ready to speak. Everyone's listening. I mean, bated breath. Like, everyone. Except for Chris Jericho and his inner circle. Now, they have taken... um, They've spent the show up in a luxury box. Um, which in, in this particular arena is not too far removed from all the rest of the crowd. Uh, they've got popcorn. They've got drinks. A little bit of the bubbly. They've been cheering for the heels. <laughs> Jericho's been making funny faces and then shouting out snide remarks to, to the various uh, wrestlers. And when Cody begins to speak, they pull out noisemakers. Like the big, loud soccer noisemakers yeah i thought it was triple a again <laughs> then jericho even has a microphone and he's like using it to make his noisemaker even louder they shouting insults cody can't get a word in yeah and this was uh you know this is something that i actually talked to cody about when i was not this particular exact moment but the the way that wwe wrestling works in which like the baby face just has to stand there in the ring like an idiot and take all this abuse <laughs> When the other guy's just standing right there. And uh, apparently that was something that Tony Khan also hates. And so, like, uh, Cody actually mentioned it uh, on the air. He's like, hey, this isn't that other wrestling promotion. Mm-hmm. Dude, you're just right there. That's right. Like, I could just walk up there and beat your ass. Right. Uh, and so uh, it was cool because that's what happened. Yeah, well, Jericho points out that, you know, he's outnumbered. Yes. He's not going to come up there. He's got – there's four guys up there, and, and Cody's all alone. So, of course – Cody isn't alone for long. No, they come out one by one. Yeah, out comes his Dustin, posse. his brother. Out comes MJF, his best friend. And then out comes DDB. Very. And every one of these guys got a huge reaction from the crowd. Huge. And it was funny because, you know, I took some criticism when I talked about how over Cody Rhodes is to the AEW crowd and what his response is like. I compared it to Stone Cold Steve Austin. What do I know? I was just someone who saw them both live. <laughs> Stone Cold's obviously bigger, but I'm just saying, like, you know, of all the other wrestlers that I've seen this year, there's no one that sounds like Cody Rhodes when he comes into the building. Right. And there's some people that I knew who were at the arena and, and they were like, you were right. 
Like these people love him Mm -hmm. and they do. And so it was like the reactions for all of this are huge. And so here goes Cody and his, and his posse up these steps, Mm -hmm. the arena stairs to confront Chris Jericho. Yes. And and Jericho, he's, he's got his, his false bravado. Like, you know, when it was four against one, four against two, even four against three, he was, you know, pretty brave. But when it's, when the odds are even now and they're, you know, heading up those stairs to his luxury box, all of a sudden he's <laughs> he's doing the, this is your last warning, don't come any further, stop climbing. That's what's great about Jericho's performance is like it is like for wrestling fairly nuanced in that he's still saying the tough guy stuff, but the way he's saying yeah. it and the look in his eye is fear. Yes. And so like he's playing this perfectly. And then here they come trooping up the stairs and Jericho is outsmarted them or so he thinks. Yes. Because he's, he's locked himself into the, the luxury box. Yes, he's locked in. There's a door between uh, him and, and Cody and his posse. And so uh, Cody takes the scarf from his best friend MJF, wraps it around his fist mm-hmm. and punches out the window of this door. <laughs> It was the most badass thing I've ever seen. It was so cool. Like, uh, if I had low testosterone before, just after watching that, like, suddenly (laughs) it was like Nugenics or whatever that stuff Frank Thomas takes. Uh, You know, I was just feeling it. Like, everyone was... You grew some hair on your chest just watching it. Yeah, and I liked it, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was great. He punched the hole in the window. He opened the door. And suddenly they're, like, they're fighting in the arena concourse. They, they got their hand on someone's crutch. They're stealing crutches <laughs> crutch, from, yeah. from, from poor crippled fans and whipping on each other. And DDP hits somebody with a with a uh, trash can. And yeah. they're fighting in the dang Dippin' Dots. In the Dippin' Dots. Some people in the future are not going to have ice cream. There are fans just like in the middle of this brawl. Some people have some great cell phone footage yes, of it. Yes, it's amazing. I mean, they were just out there. And uh, so this was so great. Like everything about this was wonderful. And um, I mean... It just makes me so excited for for the pay per view match between Jericho and, and Cody, which is of course the the point of it all. Mm-hmm. And, and but I for me like when I watch that, I've like lost all this kind of like smart fan kind of like thinking about how they're manipulating it and what's the business going to be like and what's the gate and like I'm not thinking about any of that. Right. I'm like thinking Cody's going to kick his ass. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I mean I, I loved it and I think it's just like it it, it just. Um, reestablishes my faith in in myself for when I'm thinking to my I'm thinking I think Cody Rhodes is the best wrestler in the world <laughs> all together combining everything yeah and uh I was you know and then I think like is that crazy like Jonathan that's crazy but then like every time we watch AEW it's like the thing that Cody's doing is the thing that's most interesting it really is whether it's like with his brother and he's not like he's not cherry picking like the always the top talents either. No, it's no. like you know he's always working with his brother and a guy in his fifties mm-hmm. who hasn't done anything really of note in in ten years probably. And he's working with Sean Spears, a cast off from WWE, and then now Jericho, of course. But I mean, like no matter what it is, it's like what he does is the most interesting thing on the program, and a lot of that is down to him mm-hmm. and his performances and his believability and the effort that he puts into making it special. A lot of this just effort and your thinking and the creativity you bring to it. And, and he is just operating. Like he said, like, you know, he has found his swing, uh, was his baseball metaphor. Yeah. And, and he really has like, you know, he is just, he is just cranking them. Yeah. 
I know, I know literally what that feels like to find your swing and it's awesome. <laughs> well, Cody's right there. He's well, not, he's not Christina Snowden yet or Christina Kendall in the day, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's reaching that level. Well, I'm going to blow your mind. Yes. And remind you that two weeks from right now, we will be in Baltimore. <laughs> wow. We haven't been to Baltimore in a while. No, not since, uh, not since our oldest was an infant. It's not exactly true. I've been for work, but we have not been to Baltimore. Oh, well, then I guess I have not <laughs> been to Baltimore. <laughs> but uh, but I, we lo- I love Baltimore. We spent time there in the Army. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be fun to go back uh, to, to that area and watch this huge wrestling show and see this match yeah. uh, among many others. So, uh, very cool. This was well done. All right. And number one. Yes. This encompasses quite a bit of stuff, but basically our number one is the week that Kenny Omega had. It, it was tremendous. And I and I, I joked, uh, because as a singular moment, I love Cody and Jericho. But uh, as a body of work over the course of the week, Kenny Omega has, did stuff that, I mean, who's had a week like this? And, and maybe somebody in the G1 at some point? Like, yeah, maybe. But on the American maybe. scene. like So, you know, we started on Tuesday with a, a, his match with Joey Janela from AEW Dark. And that this was like an unsanctioned hardcore match it was insane. Yeah, it was fantastic. I had voted it uh, the, in my column the best match of the week. Yeah, and that wasn't even close. That was that that was by far the best match I saw that week. I mean, to say like pay per view quality is kind of like diminishing what it was. Like <laughs> it was the best. It would have been the best match on pay per view this year, probably. Uh, besides possibly some other AEW stuff. <laughs> but uh, so what I'm saying is as good as any WWE match on pay-per-view. Uh, and it's given away on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but it, it was just great. And and it just, uh, Kenny was Kenny. and But it was Kenny and within the realm of like an ECW in 1996 match. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been like, this, what would have been like for Kenny to wrestle the Eliminators or Perry Saturn <laughs> Or you know what I mean? Like Ken, <laughs> Kenny and like a, a young Tommy Dreamer. Um, that's what this was. And it's awesome. Yeah. That's what it's like for Kenny to wrestle a young Tommy Dreamer. It's awesome. Because that's sort of what Joey Janela is. Yeah. And um, I mean, the, the, the Janela-Moxley match was a lot of fun. But I'm not sure that that really gave um, fans an idea of how good a wrestler uh, Joey Janela really is, and this this match came. I think you know this this gave him a taste of what we've seen um, in some of the other matches he's had this year. Yeah, when I interviewed Joey for Bleacher Report, I wanted to to talk to him about it, and also just to be like, hey man, I we're seeing this. Like I wanted him to know because like you know his he had a match with Chris Statlander, uh, an intergender match, which is like one of the most incredible matches I've seen this entire year. He had a match with David Starr mm-hmm. that I thought was one of the best matches I've seen this entire year. Now he's had this match with Kenny Omega, and like not to like batter a dead horse, but like when you have people criticizing Joey Janela, like you know Jim Cornette is the main person uh, as like the, some sort of. Uh, poor representation of what professional wrestling is it just seems so patently absurd like there's a lot of people you could pick on and say and and then you know you'd have to admit to yourself yeah maybe they're not a great wrestler but joey janela like are you kidding me this guy is amazing well then we went uh to dynamite on wednesday this not this week but last week and another great uh kenny omega match 
he paired with um, Hangman Page in a tag against Pac and Moxley. And this was just a great match all the way around. Like, everyone looked great. Oh, it was really special. And, uh, I, I mean, what can you say about it? It's one of those kind of matches where, like, I, I, when you talk to, to wrestlers and when they're in a match and, and, and the other person is, is performing at a high level, mm-hmm. uh, it, it really, like... It, it brings you, you have to up your game mm-hmm. to keep up. And, and some people really appreciate that challenge and respond to right. it in a big way. And, and you could see that there with uh, Adam Page, I think, uh, especially. And, and I think we saw it this year generally with Moxley. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after so many years of kind of just kind of drifting in the right. WWE system, he has these opportunities to work with all this great talent outside of WWE. He goes to New Japan for the G1. He's working with all the best in-ring wrestlers in the world. And he has has to decide, um, am I going to respond to this challenge? Can I? Mm-hmm. Do I have the gumption, <laughs> as some people might say? Uh, and he does. And so, like, everyone, like, you know, and, and and Pac and Kenny Omega just, you know, they have that one speed. Yeah. And so, like, there's never a question with them. Right. And so it, uh, everyone rose to that level. And it, it, it was really good tag match. Yeah. And uh, we got to see... Um, you know, this was, yeah, you know, this was kind of a little bit of vindication for Hangman Page. It, it had been a little rough for him. I mean, he had had some really good performances, but um, you know, he, he wasn't. He was losing them. Yeah, and uh, and we had seen that that was taking a bit of a toll on him. So it was uh, nice to see him pick up the win. And um, they it's kinda... still it's still a strained relationship. It was, we saw them being the elite. Uh, between himself and Kenny Omega and perhaps himself and the entire elite team, you know, um, there and perhaps I don't know how deeply they'll touch on it, but there are some disparities in that every other member of the elite is an executive vice president doing these huge things. And he's a wrestler and Mm -hmm. a struggling one. So um, I I don't know where they're going to go with this. I don't know. I mean, obviously, at this point, the biggest battle is with himself. That's true. That's what and that's the battle we all fight. Then the weekend comes around. Yes. The I mean, just the next Saturday, like you yeah, know, same week. Kenny Omega goes down to Mexico. This is the AAA pay per view. What did they call it? Uh, Heroes Immortalis. Yes. It's a tribute to Antonio Pena, the late uh, founder and right. promoter of AAA. And uh, Kenny faces Ray Phoenix from the Lucha Brothers for his Mega Championship. Yes, and this match was oh my god! Like um, as great as those other two matches were, like this is a different level, uh, a different level of performance. Um, or, or I guess you know maybe it depends on on your personal preferences. Because if you like, if you particularly like garbage style wrestling, maybe the Janela match is is your personal. You might like that better, right? But if you like flying and technical action, this and is just beating the yeah, crap just beating out the of crap out of each other. Like uh, uh, Ray Phoenix is one of those uh, people that's kind of like born to wrestle Kenny Omega. Like they 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 gel very well together. Very well. Everything they do is like kind of like a, a variation of what the other guy does. Yeah, like a sort of a mirror, you yeah. know, but but not exactly. And so it, it, it was a tremendous match. It's the second time ever Kenny was in Mexico. And the first time was kind of a multi-man match. It was mm-hmm. kind of, um, frankly, it, it didn't get over with the audience 
quite as well as they hoped, I'm sure. Um, you know, people were crazy for everything else on the card. And then these guys came out, relative strangers to the crowd, mm-hmm. and, and it, it wasn't quite as exciting. That was not the case here. No. Like, I don't know if it's because of exposure or, and they're trying to, they're figuring out who these guys are, or maybe just the pure excellence of this couldn't be denied even across cultures. But uh, people in Mexico seem to love this match just as much as we did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, until the finish. <laughs> yeah, until I couldn't, I couldn't even tell exactly. I mean, obviously they didn't like the finish, but I couldn't tell how much they didn't like the finish. I it mean, wasn't it wasn't clear. It wasn't complete hardcore dissatisfaction. Oh no, 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 no. Like we saw that at the UFC previously, <laughs> where the uh, a Mexican uh, at a Mexican show, like yes. a, the, about the main event was stopped because of an eye poke, and those fans let you know they were unhappy. They were throwing beer, throwing bottles, yes. throwing everything. No, no, no. It was the, nothing. It was like not that. that level of dissatisfaction. And it wasn't. And but it, there was a silence that yeah, descended. But it, but for it a wasn't moment. even like. Um, it wasn't even like uh, when. <laughs> <laughs> when Naito lost the uh, Intercontinental belt to Jay White, and you, oh, and then people and just people started just taking left. off. They just no, walked no, out. it wasn't like that at all. No, it was no. just they were just. I, I think it was an accepting silence. Yes. In that, um, I, I don't, I don't, of course, know this, but it, I felt it felt to me like the fans were were saying, "Okay, yeah, you deserve that." I'm not happy. <laughs> we wanted Ray Phoenix to win, but you deserve that, and um, I. I, I can't say enough about this match. It, it was um, wrestled in a in just a combination of styles. You know, it was a, a nice mixture of of Kenny, a nice mixture of kind of the New Japan style, and then enough of the lucha influence mm-hmm. from Ray Phoenix um, to to give it some a kind of a unique feel. And then uh, we got a little taste of his travels, of Kenny's travels in Mexico uh, on this week's Being the Elite where he included a, quite a lengthy travel log, um, him and Michael Nakazawa going down uh, to Mexico. And I'd, I really miss that. I used to love that when he would send in his little travel logs from Japan in the, in the very early episodes. So um, I was really happy to see that on, on this week's Being the Elite. And I'm going to throw that in to the, the week that he had. And then we ended this week's, on this week's AEW Dynamite with... Kenny Omega, Joey Janela, too. Yeah, and so this was a, another great match, and uh, it was totally different, mm-hmm. I think, than the first one between these two guys, which was well, the, this one was sanctioned. Yes, so uh, you know, the first <laughs> one was wrestled in kind of like a 1996 ECW style, uh, and, and was great. And this one was like it was like 2005 Ring of Honor, <laughs> like complete like an indie work rate kind mm-hmm. of uh, sprint match. And uh, believe it or not. Joey Janela is really good at that style match. He is. I don't like so like I This match was as much like the when you watch it, it it feels as much like a Joey Janela match as a Kenny Omega match. Well, so you know, I don't agree with that entirely because I've seen enough Kenny Omega matches to to recognize that um <laughs> there's I mean, if like if you put it on a scale and if somebody can wrestle this match at a seven out of 10. If you put him in the ring with Kenny Omega, then it's automatically, it becomes like an eight or a nine out of 10. It's like, he just raises everyone up. 
in this style of a match in particular. So I'm not 100% sure like what you would see from Joey Janela with a different opponent. Like I don't know if you would would get a, a match of this style that was, you know, so smooth and exciting and well executed. Um, but you know that that's what you're going to get with from Kenny, no matter who is on the other side of the ring. Yeah. So, I mean, it was the, the level of execution was higher than most of the matches uh, that you'll see Janela in because it's Kenny Omega. Right. But like the style in which it's worked and in in, in kind of like some of the, the false finishes and some of the, the moves mm-hmm. and sequences are kind of straight out of uh, the Joey Janela uh, indie wrestling match. And so it, it was, I guess what I'm trying to say is it wasn't like a Ric Flair match where it's just like, Hey, Ric Flair's wrestling this guy. He's going to do all of Ric Flair's spots. (laughs) Like, you know, Kenny doesn't have that match where he's just like, okay, it's just the Kenny Omega show. Right. He's always incorporating what the other guy does. Exactly. And I think in this case with these two guys, it happens to like go together really well because Mm -hmm. Kenny is really good at what Joey wants to do. Yeah. And so, um, they, they kind of teased on Twitter today that um, while there's not going to be like an immediate rematch or anything, you kind of get the hint that AEW realized like, hey, this was good stuff. Right. And and, and I think they'll probably revisit it again. And uh, I'll be waiting for that because it's two of my favorite guys. Yeah. I just I just like the idea. And I'm sure that at some point they'll they'll discuss it. Um, they do a lot of you know, giving us a peek into this process of like, I'm going to go back to the drawing board. I'm going to have a few more matches. I'm going to incorporate some stuff, you know, that I, that I've learned. And then I'm going to come back and, you know, face that nemesis or whatever. And so over time, we're going to, we're, I'm sure we're going to get to see, you know, a lot of those things. Like we're going to get to see, uh, you know, Darby Allen uh, have another shot at Cody, maybe have another shot at Jericho. We're going to get to see, you know, Sammy Guevara, you know, climb up the ladder and, and get rematches against people that are, that are going to, um, they're going to get victories over him in this early part of his career. But, you know, if these guys stick around, if they all stay together in AEW, we're going to get to see those, those people grow. We're going to see those rematches. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's exciting to me because, you know, they, they do tend to like, you know, bring us in and, and keep that storyline going over, you know, long periods of time. And we've seen that with some of these wrestlers even before AEW was a thing. Right. So it's not entirely clear, like where the, the creative impetus for all these AEW storylines comes from. Like, it, you know, there's no like titular booker necessarily so i don't know who's the mind behind all of this maybe it's everyone Uh, when you talk to the wrestlers like a lot of it is tony khan uh but uh whoever it is or whoever they are uh i i have grown my faith in them has grown having i was so worried about this television show when it started i didn't (laughs) know what it would be could they handle it and they it feels like they can All right, that was our top five, and we kept that pretty much to just this past week. Um, But we haven't done a podcast for well over two weeks. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, I mean, you spent a week in Virginia, and then we took the kids to Disney. and so. But we were watching wrestling that whole time. So I had some recommendations that I didn't even try to, like, slot into the top five because they were – they're kind of old, so – I just wanted to throw them out there in case anybody hadn't seen these. Um, 
One was uh, New Japan's King of Pro Wrestling. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I was a little disappointed generally in the show overall. And you know, part of that was because, like, we missed our Moxley match because he didn't make it to the show or whatever theory you believe. Um, and then you know, yeah, some of it was just not as exciting as it looked on paper. I guess is basically. Uh, what that amounted to, but I did have some matches that I did really enjoy. Um, Ibushi defending his uh, Tokyo Dome contract against Evil. I thought that match was really good. Um, it wasn't too different than what we've seen from them in the past, but um, I thought it was well executed. And I will be honest, I am just constantly suspicious of what New Japan is actually doing with Ibushi. So, you know, I felt pretty confident that he was going to hold on to that contract, but like not 100% sure. <laughs> I mean, I was like 100% sure that Okada was not losing to Sonata. But I was not 100% sure that Ibushi was holding on to that contract. So it was just, I had like enough, uh, you know, enough fear um, to make the the match exciting for me. So that's probably one of the few matches on this list that I've actually seen. So uh, I, I can confirm that it was a good match. Abushi uh, is excellent as always, and um, I, I'm sure that it will technically be a fine match. My only kind of concern about the Tokyo Dome is that Abushi um, and Okada just have like whatever the opposite of chemistry is. Yeah, it's just like there's no spark between them at all. And they're both great wrestlers, and so though it, technically it will be a crisp and smooth wrestling I'm, match, but like, um, I don't know, it's hard to care. This buildup has been strange, and that's and that's really the only way that I can put it. Like, they throughout that last tour building up to King of Pro Wrestling, they had Ibushi and Okada tagging together, and so ibushi is coming out to the ring he's going to okada's corner while he's holding that contract and then eventually briefcase when he got his new briefcase but it was never really commented on like between the two of them it wasn't he didn't stare down okada's belt okada didn't you know give his briefcase you know a you know kind of a suspicious glance they didn't really operate like a team at all like nothing in the way of tandem offense just you know tag in tag out um and of course ibushi you know had trouble with evil throughout that tour was you got pinned clean like at least twice and it just felt really strange it was like a big elephant in the middle of this (laughs) in this tag team that these two guys are you know probably going to face each other on on like the biggest stage of the biggest show of the year so i don't know if it's always like this because we're kind of like newcomers to to wrestling twitter again but it it feels to me like since the the g1 in which there was some activity um i don't think i've seen like more than like five or six people talk about new japan at all yeah it's it's the enthusiasm yeah, for the for it, it really seems does, way down. It does feel that way. Now they do have two more tours and an opportunity to to get people more excited for you know whatever we're gonna get in the in the Tokyo Dome um, because you know they have two two nights two shows. Um, but yeah, the the build up to this particular match 
has been a little strange. Like we have, we've watched, we've seen enough now to kind of expect like some tension, some stakes uh, to make it feel like really important. And of course it's important in that it's for the belt, but there's just something missing from just even the idea of thinking about an Okada Ibushi match for the championship. Now, like I said, they have two tours coming up. He's not going to be tagging. Ibushi's not going to be tagging with Okada anymore. He's going to be facing him across the ring. He'll be tagging with Tanahashi. Um, So maybe we can start building, you know, some tension. And of course, one of the things that's been sort of hurting this is that uh, they they both sort of have they're both overlooking the other one. Um, you know, Okada has been mostly focused on his supposed rival Sonata. Ibushi has been mostly focused on this idea of winning both belts and and uh, main eventing both nights at the Tokyo Dome. Um, they have now since you know, king of pro wrestling since the press conference, since they've got this settled as the main event of the first night of the Tokyo Dome, they have since started talking about how the other one has been sort of overlooking them and, you know, I guess trying to to bring this back to center um, to really put the focus on, you know, their battle for the IWGP championship. I guess the story is who is the better wrestler, and and that's fine. It'll be a work rate centric Tokyo Dome main event. So, uh, good luck to them. <laughs> uh, from that show, there was also um, an the an Osprey El Fantasma match for the uh, the junior heavyweight um, title. Uh, this is just a, an insane match. Um, with like an, a never ending array of spots. Um, it was a little much for me. Um, but if you like that kind of match, this is a good one because there's an awful lot to take in here. So I've, I've not seen that one. Um, since I've been covering wrestling, somehow I've had way less time to actually watch right? wrestling. And so they're at least the wrestling that I like. And so, yeah, I, I haven't seen this match. And I've sort of been personally down on El Fantasmo since he made some uh, unfortunate comments about autism that, like, um, I don't know, it just doesn't leave me enthusiastic about giving a crap. All right, then. Um, and then we had Suzuki and Liger. And, boy, they just went at each other. Um, and we did not, Liger maintained his chill i guess and he did not lose his soul to suzuki um but it was a a good match it is an especially good match if you can consider the combined ages of those two men um but you know in the end uh suzuki the one who's not retiring um was victorious um but he showed ultimate respect um to liger and it was very touching there were there were people crying in in the crowd. <laughs> uh, two of the great legends of their era. Um, uh, yeah, it was great. So I, I, I did go and watch that one. So uh, that, that, it was special, and um, you should seek it out, especially if you're one of the fans from our age group. You probably potentially grew up watching 
uh, Liger in particular. And so um, to see him in his final matches and, and to have this kind of feud in his last year is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Because a lot of times these guys just kind of, they just fade out. And, and and they just like, you know, it's like a candle and someone's poured some water on it and, you know, the, the flame just fizzles out. Well, he is he is so not fading out that he showed up for this match like shirtless. He wants everyone to know that like he is still doing the work. <laughs> it's almost like like you watch this and it's like his career has been reinvigorated by this retirement tour. Yeah, and, like, I've seen that before. Yeah, and so it's almost like you see it in American wrestling all the time where it's like, okay, the guy would just be like, you know what, I'm not retiring. I, I'm not sure if that he could pull that off in Japan, um, but... I, I don't understand why he's retiring. Like, look at the guy. Like, uh, he's got this energy. I mean, maybe he can't maintain it. Like, may, oh, you know, right, right. He, he'll, he'll have this one last effort, but sure. he's like, I don't want to do this all the time. Right. I'm 50 years old. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. But I just, to me, I just think it's funny because we've now seen this on more than one occasion. Like, that, that, that right there, that, like, why is this guy retiring? That's usually Suzuki's entire, that's his entire beef with the person who's retiring. Like, I guess, like, and that'll just be true until one day Suzuki decides that he has to retire. But, like, I, I mean, that's, like, forms the basis of a lot of his feuds that we've seen over the last couple of years, um, which is just like, you know, what are you doing, old man? Why are you slowing down? What's going on? Look at me. I'm, I'm as old as you or older in some cases. Well, it's really interesting to think about, like when you watch New Japan and you have these older guys, the gruff older guys, and they're including like people like Kojima and Tenzan and stuff. And like, uh, you know, Liger was wrestling ten years before they were. Right. You know what I mean? Like Liger was a young boy in the in the in the mid eighties. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when he was still under his his. Yeah, real I mean name. they call they call guys like um, Tenzan and Kojima like the third generation or whatever. But then that means that they actually have a fourth generation currently still working. It's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, pretty remarkable his longevity and his career. Uh, one of the all time greats and. Uh, don't use that lightly. Like he legitimately uh, is a junior heavyweight wrestler. He's the, the greatest one ever. So, um, uh, exciting to see him, uh, go out in, in this manner in, in matches that matter, uh, where he's able to look good. And I just had one other recommendation. Um, it was from the ring of honor glory by honor show that, um, out of new Orleans, um, Alex Shelley and Jonathan Gresham had a match, on that show generation next uh, Shelley. It, i mean it's just excellent it really is and so i came back into wrestling at a time like i, I think it was like i mean just right around the same time alex shelley left and so i actually wasn't very familiar with him at all i mean he had um you know built his career during that time when i was away from wrestling and then um retired or they took a break from wrestling right as I got back into it. So I knew who he was. I knew where he'd wrestled and I knew who he wrestled with and so forth and so on. But I actually hadn't really seen much of his work. Um, he's had two matches in ring of honor that I've seen that I, I just really, I mean, I, I think he's really, really good. Like, and I, I was just really surprised. Um, I was just nodding my head. I realized that probably the, other people yeah, didn't realize they, they that. They can't hear that. Yeah, it's yeah. a silent nod. I was agreeing with her. 
Silently. But, you know, because I had heard him talked about as mostly a tag team wrestler, I was really shocked to to see what a great singles wrestler he was. And this match with Jonathan Gresham is just great. Well, you picked out a lot of stuff I did see because I did watch this match. Yes, and I, thought, I made you watch it. I, I thought it was really good. And uh, um, as an in-ring performance, it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, a piece of like character work or whatever, it was completely a muddled mess because they – Ring of Honor had it seemed to like have decided that Jonathan Gresham was going to be I a don't heel, know what they're doing with Gresham. and then they were like, "Oh no, we're not going to do that." And so like it was just all over the place between when they booked this yeah. match and when they executed it. He was like a heel, and then he wasn't a no, heel. This is just wrestling, but it was just wrestling. Yeah. And they did other stuff afterwards that is unimportant. But like the the actual match in the ring, I thought was good. Yeah, I mean this. I mean this match didn't have any stakes or anything. Alex Shelley is, I think, not really under contract with ring of honor or you know he he doesn't he doesn't have like a i don't think he has a set future with them he comes in and out and does a couple of matches i don't know like you said i don't know what's going on with with whatever they're trying to do with with gresham it makes absolutely no sense um but just as a singles match with no stakes no history just seeing some fine wrestling this was really, really good. <laughs> and that's kind of, unfortunately, like a description of Ring of Honor generally in that it's just like random matches. <laughs> well, I can tell um, you that, that this, happened. Some yeah. of them are good. Nobody knows why any of them are happening. If you have Honor Club and you haven't seen this show, this match starts at like an hour and 42 minutes into the show. Um, I, You know, I hate to say it, but you can get by with just watching this match because the rest of the show, it it wasn't great. Yeah, it's a, it's unfortunate um, that they're they're kind of losing me as a fan. Uh, I I still like a lot of the individual performers, but it's just the presentation of it is just the pits. Uh, sorry to have to say that. <laughs> they can still surprise me every once in a while, and like well, we'll occasionally because they that... have these like random matches that come out of nowhere, um, and so that's not always good narrative wise. But occasionally it'll be like a, a surprise match out of nowhere that you're like, oh, that's actually cool. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes they can manage to stick several of those on one show, sure. and suddenly you've got a really nice Saturday but you night never or know. whatever. But you never really know. Yeah, there's no predict because you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. You don't know why it's happening, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it isn't. Um, with the glut of good wrestling product, that makes it very difficult. Because when I watch some of these other promotions, I got a pretty good idea of what I'm going to get. And I know I'm going to like it. Mm-hmm. And if I'm watching you and I don't know what you're going to deliver and there's a good chance, like not a good chance, but maybe a 50-50 chance that it, I'm going to feel like I wasted my time, that's that's a bad ratio. Mm-hmm. That's like a maybe I cancel that and get something else ratio. Yeah. So um, we'll have to make some choices. All right. Do we have questions? We do. Yeah. Okay. What we got? All right, so so these come from uh, back when I first uh, asked for them. So the, these questions are a little bit old, but, you know, they're oldies but goodies. Okay. So the two-man power trip wants to know our thoughts on the AEW announce team. That came from, I think, when it was the new AEW announce team. But uh, four weeks in, yeah. you can still give your thoughts. I, you know, I'm still very pleased. Um, I, I still have... Gosh, you know, I don't think I gave you a single sideways glance this whole last show about, you know, normally like every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I, you know what? And I, and I distinctly remember that there were some one-liners that really got me. I think they do a really good job. I think they complement each other really well. And that's my, my favorite part of it. I think that 
the presence of Tony Schiavone takes a lot of the pressure off of Jim Ross to deliver um, some of the narrative bits and some of the ad reads and stuff like that. And then uh, Excalibur does a particularly good job of uh, filling in the gaps. Uh, he's the one that is the most in tune with AEW as a product, mm-hmm. with the modern wrestling scene, yeah, the modern moves. Yeah, he's been jumping moves. in a lot more. Like yeah. That was a complaint of mine at the beginning is like, he needs to take he. We need to hear him a little more and them a little less. Well, there's probably some level also. Like I think of, um, you know, he's probably thinking like, well, can I do that? This is Jim yeah, Ross. Yeah, exactly. This I is totally Tony Schiavone. That. Yeah, like and so, but I think he feels more empowered now. He feels like he's part of the unit more. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but that's how it yeah. feels watching it on television. And so he's he's more willing to jump in and say because you know like. Tony Schiavone's still at the point where he's like, wow, they're doing these moves now? Who knew that? <laughs> like, you know, it's like his, it's so cool and refreshing to see like how excited he is about what modern wrestling looks like. But um, he doesn't necessarily have the the history and knowledge mm-hmm. of some of the wrestlers that, um, you know, he would have in the mid 90s. Right. And so that's where Excalibur can come in. Uh, meanwhile, Jim Ross and, and, and Tony can, you know, have decades of experience in mm-hmm. telling wrestling stories yes. so they're good at that they understand this, the narratives that are that are taking place and how to get them over they may not know all the history the athletes have or like what the moves are called right so they uh, that's where excalibur can come I, you know i i thought over the last couple of weeks one of the things i've noticed about jr is that i feel like um he's getting more subtle without like without you know, losing that ability to help tell the story. And that I know that was a big thing with you where you were like, you're telegraphing it, you're telegraphing yeah. it, you're telegraphing it. I feel like he he really has worked on that. Um, one, of the, one of my favorite things is when he does sort of like, when he's like truly old man JR. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know if I'd waste that time. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Like, I, I kind of love that because it's like, it just really fits him. Well, so he's the last two weeks, he's really been kind of leaning into it, into the kind of the grumpy older yeah. JR. And, 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 and that's cool because that's like who he is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've spent some time with him and, and I like grumpy old JR, but like, it's who you are. Like, and, and, and I, the other thing that I like about that too is that like, uh, you can tell that Excalibur gets a real kick out of he Grumpy does. Old Jr. He really does. You, yeah, you can definitely. <laughs> so tell. The, these guys have chemistry, and I think they're doing a great job. And um, I, I just say overall, like I'm, I have like a huge smile right now mm-hmm. just talking about it because this television program is just really good. And I was so worried because. Um, we had seen all the AEW shows live. And so I didn't really know what their TV product looked like. Right. And it could be bad because if when you watch wrestling, a lot of independent wrestling, uh, a lot of times it's bad. The commentary <laughs> is bad. The, the cameras are bad. The cameras don't even match each other. Their color schemes are different. They're, one of them's white balanced. One of them isn't. Like, a, you know, the, it's just a complete mess. If you yeah. watch like Power Slam or indie wrestling television, some of it's bad. I, 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 I didn't think they would have that level of problem, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what it would be. And um, it's so much better than I expected. And uh, I'm, I just like, it is better than I imagined in my wildest. Like if I if I put like the most positive like dream I could have put together of what it would be, <laughs> like they're delivering better, like better than my imagination, and uh, that's a that's like a really good feeling. Yeah, you know, I honestly think I I honestly think in my head I I was thinking, well, you know, 
it'd be good if they could just put out something that looked as good as NXT. And I mean, their, I mean, their production is looks so much better than NXT. It lo- yeah, like, it looks big time. Yeah, and 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 so yeah, I'm I'm really happy about that too. But I at, specifically about the announcers, I actually really loved having Taz guest announcing for Dark, and I hope that I hope they can bring in more people to do that because one of the things I loved about it was like he was obviously so enthusiastic about what he was seeing. Yeah, I mean, there's such a, a great pleasure in, in someone enjoying the yes. thing that you enjoy. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, it's also fun to watch people enjoy anything, like the, the especially when it's it feels real the way mm-hmm. it did. Like, yeah, you could tell that, like, um, I, I don't, like most older wrestlers, I don't think Taz religiously watches every indie wrestling person. Oh, right. So he's seeing some of it for the first yeah, time. Yeah, he seemed to be. And you can tell that he's like, wow. These kids are good. Yeah, and I love it when when they get that reaction. Yeah, it just reminds me. I heard that I heard um, when when Stone Cold Steve Austin talked to Tony Khan on his podcast, and he had just watched Double or Nothing. Right? Was it Double or oh, Nothing? Sorry. And it, it was just it was so funny because he he loved it. He absolutely loved the show. He was clearly bowled over by it. And like a, an awful lot of that podcast was just like. Hey, you remember when, you know, this <laughs> and he was just so enthusiastic about it and, and just, and kind of, you could just sort of tell that it was just like made him really excited about wrestling. And he admitted like that he didn't follow a lot of wrestling, didn't know a lot of these people and stuff. And, um, yeah, I just, I think I thought I got that feeling from Taz when he was, um, being a guest commentator and also he had some really great insights. But uh, I hope they can get more people to do that, especially for the dark program, because I, I just thought that was really cool. So our thoughts were that the AEW announced team is great. Yeah, I'm, I'm really loving them. All right. So Jeff Manning wants to know uh, if there was a King of Trios tournament, uh, who would represent each promotion? Uh, WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, NXT, New Japan uh, for the glory and honor of their brand, three wrestlers. Okay. Uh, and I told you like one of mine and you were like, that sucks. Yeah. Well, so I realized <laughs> that we had very different ideas. I got you. Cause I think you were like, I'm going to pick the three strongest wrestlers. And I was like, I'm going to pick trios teams that I want to see like wrestle. Like I, I wanted to pick teams that had chemistry and tandem offense and that I actually want. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm not just picking this, and then, like, I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to book a trios tournament that I want to watch. All right. Well, so you're so damn smart. Let's hear who you pick for each oh, promotion. So, wait, I go all of mine first? I'm not even going to do it after you responded the way you did to mine. Okay. Maybe I'll fill it in later. I've right. got them written down. All I'm right. embarrassed to say them now. All right. So, New Japan. Yes. I'm I'm picking LIJ. And, I, and specifically, I want Naito, Shingo, and Bushi. I... Love the way these guys work together. Um, you know, typically, you know, sometimes it's three man, sometimes it's just Naito and Bushi or Naito and Shingo. Either way, I want those three guys. Have you ever seen New Japan? I can just already tell you, Bushi's getting pinned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've Damn just it. you've just sunk <laughs> New Japan's hopes. Um, so yeah, so for example, I wrote down Okada, Bushi, and Tanahashi. Is it? We just discussed 
We just literally discussed how Okada and Ibushi have no chemistry, no tandem offense. They 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 tagged together for a whole tour, and they might as well have been in different cities. Fine. <laughs> but I do think that you have to, like, this is the honor at stake for your country, for your brand, for everyone that represented by the company, and you're going to send Bushi out there? I say no to that. I think you got to put stronger wrestlers out there. And also, as a fan, like I like the idea of having some tension like on your team, which is why for AEW, I thought like the best team would be Kenny, uh, Omega, Cody, and Jericho. Because I like the idea of like the nasty interactions between Jericho and the other guys. Like You need some little angles happening. Oh, good grief. All so right, who for, did you have for AEW? I have the elite. I have the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Because... My God, like I've seen, I've seen their, their three man tags. Like they're amazing. Why would I, why would I want to watch any other group? Yeah. But didn't they just lose a three man match to Jericho (laughs) in LAX? (laughs) I I mean, the best wrestler in the world is Chris Jericho. He's the champion. Oh my God. Like how can he not come out there? So for Uh, WWE, who did you have? Okay. You're going to be surprised by this, but again, I am booking a trios tournament of teams that I actually want to see wrestle all the wrestlers in the world. And you're like, one of them's got to be Bushi. I I'm, I'm booking the OC. That is a fabulous oh, tag team and AJ styles. Like, you know, you know that I don't even particularly like them, but I cannot deny that they are a good trio. Well, so I, I thought that the, this may be the only t- opportunity to see some of these interactions. And so, uh, I picked Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns, and Brock Lesnar. Oh, now see, that's I actually think that that would work well. I mean, we've seen that Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns work well, and yeah, I'm, they can incorporate Brock in there. He doesn't need any tandem offense. He's like he's, he's Brock. Like, yeah, he's he like, is a tandem. That's what I'm saying. His, he's his like, left arm and his right arm. That's his tandem <laughs> offense. Um, yeah, and so then you could get stuff like uh, Brock and Kenny. Uh, and or in your world, Brock and the Young Bucks. Like, yeah, yeah. How awesome that, would that yeah, be? Yeah, that would be amazing. Tossing the Young Bucks yes, around. That would be great. Somebody telling Brock Lesnar he has to sell for the Young Bucks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> of course he used to just, sell. Just wait here for a minute. <laughs> yeah, you just stand in the corner. We're gonna do this thing where we flip around and call out Dave yeah, Meltzer's he's name. He's not doing that, and that's actually even better. So I did take a page out of your book for okay. NXT. Yeah. Um, I thought that the best team they could bring was uh, Cole, Strong, and O'Reilly, the Undisputed Era. Oh, cool. But I actually was going to pick um, Cole, Riley, and Fish. That works as well. Okay. Because I, I, think, I, think, I think that uh, Kyle O'Reilly and, and Fish have great chemistry. So. Because that's one of the, co- the cool ones where it's like the, it, they have the team chemistry, they are a real team, and also they're the top performers. Uh, they have the belts. It makes sense. So I brought them out. All right. And what about for Ring of Honor? This was really hard. Yeah, this was harder. Because it's such a mess. Like, you don't really know. Um, I kind of like the idea of, like, having, like, a team for Ring of Honor where the people are unhappy to be teamed together. So, like, that would be, like, Matt Taven is out there with, like, Dalton Castle and someone <laughs> and Jay Lethal and everyone's <laughs> arguing all the time. And Jay Lethal starts doing impressions and stuff. Um Actually, I would just Jay Lethal has to be on the team, and he's got to do like impressions of like Jericho and some of the other guys. <laughs> well, Jay Lethal is on my team. Okay, who else you got? Jonathan Gresham. 
Oh, really? Because well, I think lethal and Gresham work really well together. At the same time, one of the other teams has Brock Lesnar and Jonathan Gresham oh is God. five three. Yeah, and you're you're all like, uh, well, we know how this is going to go. Bushy's Bushy's going to get pinned. I think it's going to be Gresham. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you've 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 uh, created American Bushy. Um, so yeah. And who was your third? I'm rounding it out with Roosh. Okay, so I had him on my team. I thought Marty Skrull, Roosh, and Jay Lethal. Oh, that's great too. So Jay Lethal, I think you have to have on your team because he's he is the the living embodiment of Ring of Honor yeah. right now. He's the last remaining old school Ring of Honor guy. Maybe even you do Jay Lethal and the Briscoe Brothers, <gasps> just to throw it back. Oh, them boys! I totally forgot them. Can you imagine like them boys in there with like? Uh, uh, I don't know anybody, anybody in the world, but like Lesnar <laughs> or like Roman Reigns or whatever. Awesome. They're cutting like a promo out in front of the chicken coop about Roman Reigns. Um, I'm for it. All right, I love this idea. Okay, we got our we'll trios tournament. I'll I'll like rent a ring. We'll do it in the backyard. <laughs> Someone from WWE can call me. Okay, so Mr. Minowin, Minowin, whichever we don't know. I gave it a shot. Do you feel that AEW um, having a non-subscription-based model for its pay-per-view will hurt its overall growth as it uh, tries to expand the audience to include more casuals? So them charging whatever they charge on Bleacher Report Live, um, I should say uh, I work for Bleacher Report. <laughs> Um, so them them having pay-per-view on Bleacher Report Live instead of like uh, the AEW network for all four of their programs right. or whatever. You know, you can get all four of them on the right. AEW network. Um, so, yeah. So, one, like what would their network I, I have? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. There is no like past content. No. And so um, I don't know what to make of that. I think that for AEW, the key to success has nothing to do with pay-per-view. That's like a secondary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've seen with WWE – and what we have seen with UFC is that the the big money now, the big revenue driver is television, a big television deal. That's what they should be shooting for. And I think that's partly why you see them giving away, uh, as you would say, quote unquote, giving away. That's the old school wrestling way of looking at it, which is like, you know, someone like Brian Alvarez from the Wrestling Observer site would get like really mad when they had like a good match on Raw that he got to watch for free. He's like, they should be saving that for pay-per-view. <laughs> like, I want to pay $50 for that thing I just got for free. It's like a totally nonsensical way for a fan to look at anything, right? right. But that's kind of like the wrestling mentality. Uh, the fans have grown up on that idea, which is like, TV is just to get you to the pay-per-view. I gotcha. So, But that doesn't exist in a world where you're getting huge money to be on TV. Right. So TV is the number one thing. So what AEW is trying to do is get... Um, they have like a... Uh, an okay television deal. They have great a great outlet. Mm-hmm. They don't have great money. Right. So what they want is to prove themselves so valuable that Turner or then competing networks yes. have to have to say, okay, we're going to give you a lot of money for this right. because you're bringing in a lot of young people, a lot of viewers, a lot of excitement. So that's where their money is going to be. Pay per view is a nice secondary, and maybe now when as their startup, like it's probably important to have some money on pay per view. So, mm-hmm. but definitely TV is the big thing. So they've got to succeed on TV. That's number one. And then I think I don't think that you're driving casual fans with either right form of pay. Like mm-hmm. exactly paying for a network, paying for an individual pay per view. That's neither of those is a great 
uh, tool for casual fans. Right. I think that what they have on, on their YouTube channel with this AEW Dark where you're offering your best wrestlers. Right. You've had Cody. You've had Kenny Omega. Mm-hmm. You've had the Young Bucks all for free on YouTube. Right. That's a good entry point for anyone. It's free. And it's excellent. So I think that's a good strategy, um, taking that social and then funneling that into television. That's a good place for them to be. Yeah, I I agree. Well, awesome. (laughs) I don't know if that's ever happened before. Handsome Andrew. I cannot confirm the handsomeness. It's in his name, so it must be true. Must be true. What's your holy grail of footage? Um. You had to explain to me what this even means. Yeah, so for a long time, the, you know, there's there's lots of like uh, legendary kind of wrestling matches that don't really exist on videotape, or gotcha. we're not sure if they do. So there's like whole careers of like people from like the West Coast and, and AWA scene, like people like Ray Stevens, who was a legendary wrestler, like people like Brooke Flair say like, uh, when I was first starting, this was the best wrestler in the world. But pretty much, uh, you know, next to nothing exists uh, from this guy in his prime years. That's sad. You know, there's stuff from the early 80s once he was kind of already fat and older. He's still good, but it's you don't really see him as he was when he was a, a living legend amongst his peers. Gotcha. And so the, like finding like a tape of old Ray Stevens matches would be like the holy grail of footage. For a long time, it was like one of the, the matches was like the last battle of Atlanta, which was like this big tag team match that existed in the Omni that people were like huge about. And uh, it was discovered in the WWE archives and they put it on the WWE network. Um, so stuff like that. Okay. Um, it's probably less prevalent in the modern era in which, right. you know, like the indie wrestling show down the street is taped. Right. When there's 50 people there. So um, that's kind of Someone like. Someone had a phone. Right. So we've got it. We've got it. Exactly. So <laughs> the, it's kind of a concept for us olds. Gotcha. Um, but um, I do kind of have one that it, because. Uh, a, a tease exists. All right. And it's two of my favorite wrestlers, Volkan, who was like one of the great um, submission style wrestlers for the, from the rings promotion. Uh, just a wizard on the mat. Like Zack Sabre Jr. Only like good. Right, right. Like an actual legitimate You've made athlete. that actual comparison yes. before. <laughs> He's like if Zack Sabre Jr. could actually do some of that stuff. Yes, that's what you um, always say. Yes, that, that would be Volkan. And uh, he's mesmerizing. And um, his retirement match was in 2012, and it was against Masakatsu Funaki, who was another one of these shoot-style wrestlers only for a competing promotion. Okay. So these two guys never interacted before. All right. They interacted in the retirement match of Volkan, and there's a clip of it, like a, a couple-minute clip that exists on YouTube, and but not the whole match anywhere. What? And so... Um, I would love to see that match. A lot of people would love to see that match, but I don't really know how. And then what's weird is that like, I, I actually talked to Funaki about it. He was the mentor and trainer of Ken Shamrock. So I talked to him for my book or, you know, he, he speaks some English, but, um, a lot of it was a written form, mm-hmm. but, uh, he seemed surprised that, that you can't find it. Yeah. The, like, cause he's like, well, yes, that match. Yes. There's a tape of that match. Like, yes, that match exists in the world. Um, I would like to see that match. So for me, that's a hidden grail footage. Gotcha. Anything for you? Well, no. I mean, I, I, this is not like a world that I'm at all familiar with. Like, there's nothing out there that I've heard of that I haven't seen or that I've 
dug for or anything like that. Like, nope. I think I'm just a product of the modern era. Like, I see stuff on YouTube that interests me and I watch it. So you're just a damn noob. I, yeah, I'm a total noob. I'm going to sit here and gatekeep you. <laughs> How dare you watch wrestling? I mean, this is, I mean, seriously, this is not, this is just not something that I'm at all familiar with. And also, I'm I'm not really a digger. Like I, I mean, you like you'll be like, oh, I want to watch that, but I want to watch it for free. And then the next thing you know, it's like, haha, I got this Romanian copy and I'm <laughs> ready to go. I mean, my son, our son, does the same thing. Like you know, so he's absolutely obsessed with Bob the Builder. Yeah. So the, for in our world, there's like a, a Russian version of YouTube. Uh, in which you can find stuff. And I, I guess the copyright claims are not, they're not quite as rigorous maybe about it. And of course, Daily Motion is mm-hmm. one where you can uh, sneak things in that YouTube might pull and like. Right. I never go any further than just like typing something into the search bar. If it comes up, great. You know, if it doesn't, I'm done. Well, so it's for you, it would be like if you knew there was like, they were like, there's a 2010 match between Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi. Here's some photographs from it. It was the greatest match the two men have ever had. Uh, they made out at the end of it. Um, <laughs> and you'd be like, holy crap, I've got to see this. That would be your holy grail footage. I, uh, that's my, Okay, that's my hypothetical holy grail I'm footage. just trying to, that's the concept. Gotcha. So, there you go. <laughs> All right, final question. Are you ready? Yes. Foul original. Uh, Foul like a chicken? Like a bird, yeah. Okay. Um, Brings up the idea, the premise of the AEW ice cream bar. (laughs) This is another thing you had to clue me into. Yeah, so Christina was unaware of the fact that WWF had had an ice cream bar (laughs) in our childhood. She had never had the glorious... These things don't even look like something that's edible. Yeah, they're pretty questionable looking. Um, So yeah, WWF famously in the 80s had everything. They merchandised everything. Vince's whole idea was like, we're going to stamp Hulk Hogan's face on every damn thing that we can, (laughs) and uh, we're going to make some money. And they did. And that included ice cream bars. Um, On the, the back side was chocolate. There was vanilla ice cream, like kind of like the kind that would be in an ice cream sandwichish, mm-hmm. only like Less hard and frozen. Like in the ad you showed me. Yes, it was not like pleasant though. It was like okay. really hard. And then there was like a cookie on top, in which like a wrestler was printed on it. Yes, the image is like burned in. Yes, and so, but it wouldn't like say like the like the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat one didn't say like Ricky Steamboat. It said Dragon. Okay. Um, so anyway, that was the WWE. Ice cream bar. Did you ever you did you eat some of these? I've had I, yeah I, we got it like so I didn't come from a household in which money was expended on right. such things so I think maybe one time we got them got it and normally we had those like uh, popsicles that where you had to like cut the otter pops uh, but like a generic version oh sure in which they all came string together like in a box and stuff yeah yeah I don't know um, if I ever had any actual otter pops. Poor people popsicles is what we had. We didn't have no WWF ice cream bars. Um, but if AEW made them, he wanted to know like what flavor, who would be represented and what flavors would they be? Which we've already established WWF didn't have distinct flavors. No, they did not. But have that was olden times. All so right. um, I thought we could maybe limit it to, to three. Well, I was just thinking that I just looked at the what the bars look like that you showed me in the ad or whatever. And so I will make some that have 
coffee ice cream oh. with the chocolate and the cookie. And those can represent um, at least Matt Jackson and Kenny Omega, um, who I immediately uh, thought of as being associated with the flavor coffee because of their copious amounts of coffee drinking on Being the Elite. Interesting. So there could be like a bourbon flavored one. Uh, <laughs> For like that uh, Kazarian or Cody. Yeah, like someone sophisticated like that. And there could be one that like um, tasted like old cigarettes. For Joey. And the bus station. <laughs> That's not For an Joey actual Janella. ice cream flavor. That's not a flavor? No. All right. Um, well, that's what I had. All right. I would not eat these okay. things. You're missing the most obvious. Okay, hit me. Like an orange dreamsicle flavor. Oh my god! Or orange Cassidy. Cassidy. And All we'll right. throw the breast friends in there too. They'll be orange as well. All right. I like it. All right. All right. Well, coming up, you're going to New York City. New York City. How long has it been since you've been in New York? A long time. Um, 20 plus years probably. Wow. I, yeah. I, you. So you think the last time you were there was with me? Yeah. Wow. No business. You've had no business I've trips had in never, New York. Well, so it was so so much of my travel for work was oh, associated the UFC in with UFC. New York. Oh my goodness. And, and I UFC never thought was, about that. was banned in New York for um, all the time before I was banned from UFC. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I never went to New York. Um, I have been to the state of New York. I've been to Fort Drum where, uh, for sure, the army sure. several times. Uh, but I've, I've not been to for any wow, I to did New not York know City. That. I yeah. assumed you had, had been there probably numerous times. No, okay. cra- so it's crazy. So it's like I, I've not been there since we were probably um, col- law school, college. I don't remember. It was We were young. Uh, we flew in and out of there a couple of times in the 2000s, but I don't think we visited since law school, which would have been before 9-11. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, 20 years. I totally forgot that. I'm going to be unleashed on New York City. Well, there will still be wrestling to watch. I, I, I don't know if they have wrestling in New York City. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they do. Um, Bleacher Report headquarters is in the middle of Times Square. Yeah, that is so weird to me. I don't even understand that. So it's pretty wild. Like it's like right like right across the street is where like some of the theaters are that are right. playing like uh, the big musicals and stuff. Like it's just right in the heart of it. Um, it's going to be totally weird. That just feels unnecessarily expensive. To be perfectly honest. Careful, they might be listening. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> doubt that. I hope not. But. To let you know what's going on, New Japan continuing their uh, junior tag tournament, um, which has been, you know, it's been a little strange because we went, you know, for like, oh, we went for like a whole week with no live shows, just a video on demand for the tournament matches. But, you know, they've been fun. Uh, I've been enjoying uh, Desperado's back. Yay! And uh, the coaches. Yes, the two coaches have Rocky been great. I love Rocky and yeah, Taguchi are, are two of the, the hidden heroes in all of pro wrestling. They've been a lot of fun. They come back with some live shows this weekend. Um, so we've got New Japan continuing that tour. Um, then pr- we likely will probably not be able to record again before uh, Halloween. And that's when we have WWE pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia. Or is it a pay-per-view? Or just on the network? 
Is there a distinction? I guess guess there's not a distinction anymore. I'm not sure. It's on a Thursday. Uh, Right. Halloween. Yes. Crown Jewel. So coming up, uh, if you're a reader of my column, since we're plugging stuff, apparently, um, I'll have uh, a brief interview with Cain Velasquez and Ray Mysterio Jr. ahead of the the Crown Jewel. I talked to Sammy Guevara. I talked to Thunder Rosa. I talked to Oren Anderson, um, the Enforcer, Woo. (laughs) <laughs> my spot um so yeah it's a lot a lot wow. coming up. it's been an exciting you time you have been busy i really have and it's i feel like when i get these opportunities you have to like push because you never know like i always have the the fear that like one day like they're not going to pick up the phone anymore right so like uh when you get this chance like you you, you when you're up at the plate you got to swing i mean actually that's kind of true for everything isn't it it really is yeah, you learn those lessons uh, over the course of your life. So I'm a year older now, so I mean, I'm just that much wiser. It's true. Uh, <laughs> I do sense that wisdom coming from you, so I, I'll take advantage of that. I just exude wisdom. <laughs> you exude something. 